Hello. Hey. Yeah, we are focusing on the Word of God um, this month since we are challenging the church to read through the New Testament. I'd like you to watch a video about that. There's a recent study by the Center for Bible Engagement where they pulled 40,000 general population in the U.S. from 8 to 80, and they just wanted to see how we are engaging with Scripture. Right. And they discovered something that actually became kind of the profound discovery of the entire study. They weren't even looking for this, and this is kind of became the highlight of the study. Right. Um, When we're in the Scripture one time a week, and that could be church on Sunday, that's pastor saying you open your Bible, we hear the message, one time a week had negligible effect on some key areas of your life. So I'm going to spell that out more here in a moment. Two times a week, negligible effect. Now at three times a week, there was a blip on the map, like there was a heartbeat. Something happened, again, a heartbeat. But here was a profound discovery. When we're in the scripture four times a week, it literally spikes off the chart. You would expect that it'd be one, two, I mean, there'd be a gradual incline on the effect and impact that would have in your life, but it was literally one, two, three, four, something radically happens. Okay, you got my curiosity. To this extent. What kind of behavior is being affected? Feeling lonely drops 30%. Wow. Four times a week in the Bible. Four times a week in the Bible. Okay. Anger issues drop 32%. Uh, Bitterness in relationships, marriage, a relationship with your kids, and so on, drops 40%. Alcoholism drops 57%. Feeling spiritually stagnant. You know, if there was one area when I'm talking with people that, that they'll be honest about is they just feel spiritually stagnant. Ask them the question, how much time are you spending in the Scripture? If they're in the Scripture four times a week or more, it drops 60%. Wow. Viewing pornography drops 61%. That's very important. Now, on a flip positive side, sharing your faith jumps 200%. Wow. Because you have a confidence in God's word. And then discipling others jumps 230%. That's, That's amazing right there. Yep, we affirm that. The Bible matters. And isn't that amazing? Four times a week in the Word of God, how much the impact has. And so that's why we're really challenging everybody to get engaged in reading the New Testament with us next year. Uh, Using this New Testament, it has six readings a week. It's got Monday to Friday. Then it has a weekend reading. I usually end up on Sunday, end up reading a psalm is what I do to to fill out the week. But if, uh, if you will join us in this, then this is the kind of impact that it can have on our spiritual life. Um, the, the New Testament we're going to use is called this. It's the My Time with God. I've told you about it. Normally would have cost when it was in print $15, and I was able to get them for $5 a copy off of eBay through God's amazing intervention. Um, I think I told First Service last week that the translation is the New Century Version. Let me say a little bit about that. It is a legitimate translation. It's not like a paraphrase or anything. What's unique about the New Century Version is it's translated at the sixth grade English level, which uh, actually caught the attention of several people in first service last week who said, I'm in just for that. Because the Bible can be difficult to read. Um, There was even somebody a year ago in first service who was telling me he was really struggling understanding Scripture, and I bought him a, a contemporary English version, which is kind of a similar reading level. And he said that for the first time, like, the word really became alive to him. So this doesn't mean you're in kindergarten just because you're reading a sixth grade English level. I have found it profoundly impactful in my life. This is 
the translation we use with international students since their English isn't super high level. And I've done this with dozens of people who have gone through this New Testament. And what I love about it is since it's sixth grade English level, it doesn't use a lot of the big Christian words that some of us are used to and maybe some of us still don't understand. You'll read sanctification in most translations and this will put it in a simpler way. Um, and I have found many times that the, the simpler language impacts me, things jump out at me that have never jumped out before. So um, just really want to challenge you to do that. We had, um, I'm going to talk more about it in a minute, but we're really challenging you to do it like in groups of three to get a couple of other people to do it. I'm going to talk more in a minute about why that is. I've had a few people, especially online, so if you're online, but even somebody who comes who've said, I'm just not, I don't know that I'm going to be comfortable in my home in a small living room with two other people. And I told them, I said, we, will, we have plenty of space here. There is tons of space here. We can have the press room available for that. That's actually where my group meets. Um, so don't let space be an issue. Still get some people together, spread out if you need to. And I just encourage you to, to be in the Word of God. So, um, we are going to continue this morning looking at the Word of God. That's kind of our emphasis for the month. But before I do, I need to share something with you that uh, Julia Laws sent to me two weeks ago um, that's related to, to, to books. So, the pastor's wife gave him $150 and told him, buy a nativity set and whatever is left over you can use to go to the bookstore. And that's what, uh, that's what the result of that was. So, what, 10 cents on peanuts and then a lot of money on books. Uh, for those of you that are book lovers, you totally understand that. Um, yep, this is again what that New Testament looks like. There's a New Testament reading. There is an Old Testament portion that goes with it. Then there's a devotional from a famous Christian author. This is J. Oswald Sanders, um, a very famous Christian who's written a lot of good stuff. So it's not online. You can't find this online. So I really challenge you, get the New Testament, find some friends to go through with it. through it. So, last week we began looking at the Word of God and we looked at 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, where we learned that the, the Word of God is God-breathed and that it is profitable. It's profitable for teaching me, for rebuking me when I've gone down the wrong path, for correcting me to get me back on the path, and for training me in righteousness or in right living. And it's able to thoroughly equip me, anybody who's a servant of God, for every good work. So, we looked at this text last week. And I want to look at another text in Colossians in just a second. Um, this whole idea, all scriptures God breathed, or some translations, all scriptures inspired. First Tim, Peter 2 talks about that the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit. I found a quote this week that I found encouraging to me by A.T. Robertson, a famous Greek scholar, who said, one proof of the inspiration of the Bible is that it has withstood so much poor preaching. Um, and so I totally understand that. So for those of you that have been patient with me for two years now, as I've been trying to get better at taking a gift I feel like God's given me and to, to be better at it, I appreciate your patience, and I'm thankful that the Word of God is inspired. Um, so today we are going to look at a command that Paul gives us to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, and it's found in Colossians chapter 3. If you want to open your Bible, you can open your Bible to Colossians 3. I want to begin with a prayer, um, and the prayer is actually a prayer, part of a prayer that I have put 
on the card that goes in your scripture that tells you how to read daily, which is every day when I come to it, I'm asking God, I want to learn something from you. I need you to speak to my head. I need you to challenge my heart. I want you to speak to me something in my life. So I want you to go from my head to my heart, and then, Lord, I'm going to apply what you, ever, what you speak to me. So it's going to go to my hand. And on here I have a prayer that I frequently pray before I read the scripture, and this is half of it. So I'd like you to stand, and I'd like you to pray this with me before we look at the Word of God. And again, let's pray this from the heart, and then remain standing because we're going to read Colossians 3, 16 to 17 together. So Father, speak, Lord. I'm your servant, ready to listen. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And as always, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And if you would join me in the reading of Colossians 3, 16 to 17, the word of the Lord, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I really want to focus on that first sentence uh, this morning. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. If I were to show you in Greek, this is literally the, the word order of it. And I, I did this because this is how I want to go through this text. In literally in Greek, it's the word of Christ let it dwell in you richly. So I want to start with that, the word of Christ. If I were to, you know, what's that mean? If I were to say to you the words of Garen, what you're going to think in your mind is, I'm referring to the words that Garen spoke, right? Or if somebody says, oh, the words of Garen, you're thinking the words that Garen spoke. Um, this isn't a huge deal, but that Greek preposition that's translated of can actually be translated two different ways, and it just depends on the context. It can also be translated about, we normally, when we see of, we think the words Garen spoke, but it can also be translated the words about Christ, which would refer to any of the scriptures which speak of Jesus. So words of Christ would be the words he literally said. So remember the Bibles that would have red, the words of Jesus in red letters? If it's the of, it's meaning the red letter words. If it's about, it means any scripture which speaks um, of Jesus. And I want to tell you that more than one commentator has suggested that this, this preposition in the Greek, it refers to the truth which has Christ for both its subject and its object, because Christ is both the giver of the word and he is the primary theme. And so most actually think about is probably the better way to understand this, that it's speaking of any words in scripture that speak about Jesus. That would be the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, Jesus is... Um, is contained, and the New Testament, Jesus is explained. So Christ is in all of it, and it's just that the whole word speaks to him. A few years ago, we went to, um, when we took students to the Passion Conference, they had a new Bible that they had put out. It's the NIV translation, but it's called the Jesus Bible. And what I really liked about it is it emphasizes the fact that all of Scripture is about Jesus. And so at the beginning of each book of the Bible, beginning in the Old Testament, it has what you can learn about Jesus from that text. So in, when you look, turn to Genesis, it says, Jesus, our glorious creator. And it has a little introduction about how you find Jesus in Genesis. When you get to the book of Exodus, for example, 
probably should have marked that. When you get to the book of Exodus, it, the, the heading is Jesus, our miraculous deliverer. And it talks about how you find Jesus in Exodus. And it goes through every book of the Old Testament because the Old Testament was pointing toward him. It goes through the Gospels, which are the words of him and about him, right? The things that he said and did. And then the New Testament, where we're written after the fact about more in depth who Jesus was. So I really believe that this, the word of Christ, it's really talking about the totality of Scripture, that that's what Paul has in mind. Because the truth is, is Jesus, um, he's the core of all of it. And Jesus affirmed this in John 5, 39, when he said to the Pharisees, you study the Scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. But I want you to know these are the scriptures that testify about me. So even Jesus was saying that the Old Testament scriptures were really about him. So let the word of Christ, I think all of the scripture, which is all about him, let it dwell in you. And I want to focus on that phrase, dwell. I mean, simple word, dwell, right? In Greek, it's an easy word. It means to live in, to inhabit, um, to take up residence, to make one's home in something. Dwell is a good word, because you, you dwell in a home, it's the place you live, it's the place outside of work that you spend the most of your time, right? So we dwell in it. Um, and he exhorts us to let it dwell in you. In the Greek, that verb, let dwell, it's one word in Greek, it's an imperative, it's a command. Dwelling in the word, of, letting the word dwell in you is not an optional thing, it's actually something commanded of us. And that word let is really important. Because what it communicates is that God will not force His Word upon you. You have to make the choice uh, to allow it to have free reign of your heart. And that's why we're doing the reading through the New Testament, is we want to give everybody in our body an opportunity to let the Word, to make that choice to be in the Word. Um, and also, this let dwell in Greek, it's in a present tense. doesn't mean much to you, that, but that indicates ongoing activity, ongoing activity. So it means that this is not just to be a one-time experience, but a continual dwelling in the Word of God. And if you're like me, I mean, this requires intentionality. I don't do anything without intentionality. You have to daily open the Word of God. You have to daily open your heart, which is what we did with that prayer, and your mind, so that your life can become more and more saturated with His Word. And I feel it. I feel the need for that daily washing of the Word that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5.26. talks about the need to be daily washing in the Word. Something that's so necessary because George MacDonald, I, I love this quote. He says, with every morn, my life afresh must break the crust of self. Every morn, my life afresh, I have to break the crust of self that's gathered about me fresh. That thy wind spirit may rush in and shake the darkness out of me. I need the Word of God on a daily basis because the self just, it doesn't that, the crust of self come back so easily every day. I've got to be in His Word. I've got to be yielding to Him. And so that's, that's why we're doing this emphasis in 2021, 20, um, so that the Scripture will take up residence in our minds and our hearts. And then that word richly. Um, a lot of translations translated abundantly. It's a very strong word in the Greek. It refers to great levels of prosperity, extreme wealth, immense riches, an extravagantly lavish lifestyle. Um, one of the most important Greek dictionaries says that it refers to the superabundance of something. So there are places in Scripture that talk about God is rich in mercy, and it's saying He's superabundant in mercy. It talks about being rich in wisdom, meaning we should be superabundant in the wisdom of God. 
And here we're to be rich in letting the word of Christ dwell in us. So the word is to dwell in us richly. It's to be fully at home in our lives. That's what Paul's saying here. Um, a lot of different English translations do this. I, I love a lot of them because it just, to me, it, it gives me a strong sense of this. The New Century Version, again, which this translation is, says, let the teaching of Christ live in you richly. The International Standard Version, let it inhabit you richly. The Contemporary English, let it completely fill your lives. The New Living, let it in all of its richness fill your lives. Weist, in his translation, let it be continually at home in you in abundance. Weymouth, a pretty old English translation, let it remain as a rich treasure in your hearts. And Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of Scripture, says, have, let it have the run of the house. Don't you love that? Let it have the run of the house. The Word of God should richly and abundantly abide in us, live inside of us. It should have the run of our house, so to speak. John Eady, in his commentary, said, it, it's like Paul saying, let the soul be fully under the influence of the Word. And a quote I love from Charles Spurgeon and a reference before where he says, let your blood become Biblian, that we should be so in the Word of God that if life cuts us, we bleed the Word of God. Because life will cut you, especially this year, right? That if life cuts us, we bleed the Word of God. In the words of one famous pastor, he says, the truths of Scripture should permeate every aspect of a believer's life, governing every, governing every thought, every word, every deed. Someone has said the word should not simply just make a short stay or an occasional visit to our home, which is easy to do, right? But it should take up residence and be given free reign of the house. We used to, when we worked with international students, had a lot of students who would come over to our home. Most of them would primarily, they'd hang out downstairs, right? In the living room, the kitchen, the dining room. That was the space. But there were always those students who became so close to us, like family, you always knew when that happened because they basically had free reign of the house. We'd be like, where'd you lay go? And we'd, she's upstairs in one of the bedrooms taking a nap or something. Um, they were the students who would come over, just come to the house, get in the recliner chair, pull it back, and fall asleep. And really, that's how it's to be with us in the Word of God, that, we, that it is so at home in us, that it regularly comes over, it can get to, into any part of our internal, our internal life, internal life, who we are, that it can pull up a recliner and, you know, take a nap inside of us. Rick Renner, he says this about this verse. He says, throw open the doors, roll out the red carpet, give the Word of God a grand reception. Isn't that cool? Give it a grand reception. Allow it to have full access to your whole life. Grant Richson his comments on this passage. He says, we should live in the Word of God like we live in our homes. The Word should become so familiar to us that we know it like the back of our hand. The idea is not to let the Word of God dwell inside. The idea is to let the Word of God dwell inside and live at home in our lives. The Word of God needs to inhabit us. We're familiar with our home and where all the closets are, where we have items stored. In the same way, we must, be thorough, we must thoroughly acquaint ourselves with the Word of, the Lord, with the Word of God. I even love that last image of like, when you've owned a home a long time, you know it so well that even if it's dark, you can make your way around. You know where to go, you know the corners to avoid, you learn, you, you don't have to count the steps anymore, you know, for our, our steps on the inside up to the landing before going somewhere upstairs, you just learn over time exactly how many they are, your body learns that, because you've been in that house, that that's how the word should be to us, so at home in us, 
and us sewing home in it that we just naturally live in it. Um, I mean, we all have stories of moving into a new house or you go to somebody's house overnight, it's dark, you need to go to the bathroom, and you crash into a wall or knock a picture off, right? Um, one of our fam- favorite family stories is Pat and I relates to our children. We honeymooned in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado in a really nice, cozy cabin. And I don't know, I think Kieran was probably two or three, so our kids were like two to six, uh, two to five in that range. And we thought, hey, let's go back up there and let's let them, like, we'll spend a week in that same cabin. And it was pretty small, but the way it was laid out, it had the, the living room here with the fireplace. There was a bedroom here where the kids were. I think we had two in a bed and one on the floor in a sleeping bag. Kieran always got the sleeping bag on the floor, um, right? That's how it is with the guys. The, the master bedroom was right off the living room with a door here to go into that room. Right next to that door, um, there was a hallway in the bathroom. There was a bathroom here, and then this little, you follow this little hallway down, and there was a door that went into the very small kitchen and dining room. At the end of that hallway, there was also a door on the right into a really long closet that was the whole length of that, the hallway. That were that, 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 yeah, it was, that closet was the length of the hallway. It was pretty long. And that was a small cabin. I have no idea why, but they had like 25 metal chairs stacked in there, stacked very straight. You all know what happens to metal chairs. All it takes is for you to, to tip one, right? And the whole thing comes down. Well, the first night there, one of our kids, in the middle of the night, it was like 3 a.m., and you know, you get into Colorado, up in the mountains, it is pitch black. So they woke up. They knew they were in a place they were not familiar with, got nervous, and they wanted to come see, come hop in bed with mom and dad. So they walked out of the bedroom, walked through the living room, but instead of walking into the doorway to the bedroom, they walked down the hallway and were feeling around, then they felt a door over here and walked into the closet, hit the chairs, and that whole stack of chairs, like 25 of them, fell down, and like we, we woke with it. There was a huge bang, woke us up, because I mean, our bed was just feet from that closet. Uh... I got up, ran in there, and had to dig her out of the chairs and brought her to bed. But, I mean, we all know what it's like to live in a place or to be in a place that we really don't know our way around it. And to me, that's what this is like. Not only does it dwell in me, but this should become my home, the place where I'm familiar with. And that's part of our goal. There were two Old Testament saints who knew what it was to have the Word of God richly dwell in them. I mean, there were more than that, but two that really gave voice. Jeremiah in his book in chapter 15 verse 16 said when your words came I ate them they were my joy and my heart's delight that's a man that the word of God richly dwelt in him and I love Job 23 verses 10 and 12 where he says he knows the way that I take when he's tested me I will come forth as gold my feet have closely followed his steps I have kept to his way without turning aside I have not departed from the commands of his lips I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily food. More than my daily food. That's what it is to have the word of God richly dwell in your life, is that you treasure it. If you allow the word of God to richly dwell in your life, two things. Um, I really believe richly dwelling in the word is the key to spiritual victory in your life, and it's the key to being fully equipped. The key to victory, um, we were, as my group was reading, because we're doing this this year, we're in Revelation this week, so it's like the last 10 yards of the, the marathon, um, but we were just in First John, of, what, about a week, week and a half ago, and 
When we were reading through 1 John 2, a verse really struck me. I was already thinking about Colossians 3. And in 1 John 2.14, he is writing to those who have left spiritual immaturity, spiritual childhood, so to speak, and have become young adults in the Word of God and in their spiritual life. And here's what he says about them. I write to you, young men, because you were strong, and the Word of God lives in you. The Word of God lives in you. It richly dwells in you. And because it lives in you, you've overcome the evil one. So I really believe having the Word of God richly in your life is the key to spiritual victory in your life. What we just saw in the video, some of the things we struggle with, that this is an important part of overcoming those things, and it's the key to being fully equipped. That's what we looked at last week, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17, where Paul said that all all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable to me for teaching me, for rebuking me when I get off the path, for correcting me to get me back on the path, for training me in righteousness and right living, so that I as a servant of God can be fully equipped for every good work. So it's that the word of God dwells in us is really important. All right, I want to share with you one of the secrets of the spiritual life, something I've learned experientially. You can read about other places. Um, This is not new to me. I think we probably all have experienced this But one of the most common metaphors for the Bible is it is food for our soul. Um, Rick Warren in The Purpose Driven Life talks about there in Scripture, the the Word of God is like a full course meal. It's talked about as dessert and as the main course and all of that. Um, But the reality is, is my soul needs God's Word like my body needs regular food, intake of food. There's a lot of similarity between the two, but there's one big difference between the physical intake of food and the spiritual in- intake of the Word of God, and it's this. Here's the difference, that if I miss a meal or two during the day, say second or third breakfast, I feel it, right? My stomach begins to rumble, and it begins to cry out to be fed and to be filled up, and the longer I go without food, the louder it cries out to me to put something in it. But I want you to know that the soul is the exact opposite of that. That if you skip your daily spiritual food, your hunger for spiritual things actually begins to decrease. It begins to decrease. Rather than crying out to be fed, your soul becomes deadened slowly to spiritual things. And that's, that's a scary reality. And it's scary because I have found that in my own life and I know everybody here, we've had that experience, right? Times where we get away from the Word of God and the hunger for it begins to decrease and our soul condition gets worse and worse as that flesh, which daily is encrusting itself on me, gets thicker and thicker and thicker. I think we've all been there. That neglecting the Word of God, that daily feeding, and then just not having spiritual hunger, having that decline. But there's another principle in this, in that difference, and it's this, that once physical food enters my stomach... I feel filled up, I feel well-fed, satisfied, and my stomach quits crying out, right? The Word of God, counterintuitively, is the opposite. It's the opposite. Unlike physical food, when I'm taking in the Word of God and eating from it, my hunger for it actually grows. Um, As I take in His Word, I not only have this sense of being fed and filled by it, but my hunger for it, it, just, it not just feeds me and fills me, but my hunger for it grows and grows and grows as I allow it to richly dwell within me. That's why Paul Little compares Bible reading to eating peanuts. The more you eat, the more you want, right? 
If you're not a peanut lover, which I'm not, uh, to me it's sunflower seeds, right? Especially Fisher. I grew up with, how many of you guys grew up with Fisher sunflower seeds? And I don't know, in the 70s, I think that's all they had was Fisher. Uh, they're hard to find these days, which is a sad thing. Um, yeah, once you start eating sunflower seeds, you can't stop. When I go on a trip, I always take sunflower seeds because if I get drowsy, they help. And I'm telling you, once I start reaching in that bag, eight hours later, I'm still reaching in that bag even though I'm full of sunflower seeds because they're too good to, to stop eating. So that's what the Word of God is like. The more you read it, the more you'll love it. And the more you love it, the more you'll read it. But you only know that by getting in the Word of God. So that's kind of why, that's why the challenge. One more thing I want to show you about this text when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, that word you is actually plural. Probably if we had the cotton patch translation from the south, it would have been, let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. Or, Pat's from Indiana, dwell in yuns richly, right? However you say that kind of thing. Um, Paul does use the plural, and what he's ref- that's really important because he's referring not just to individual believers being rich in the word of God, but that a whole body, a church body, lets the word of God richly dwell in them. Um, that it continually bees at home, not just in my life, but in our life as a body. And that's why the next words in verse 16 are, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. That it's not just to be a guaranteed individual thing, being in the Word of God, and then I get filled up and that's all I need, but I'm doing it in community, in small communities of like two other guys, in the larger community as a whole church, and then with that we teach and we admonish each other. It's a community activity, and it's because of texts like this. That's why our mission really is, is we long to become a biblical community of kingdom people. We want the Bible to be the center of what we are. And that's why in the challenge, we're not just saying, get one of these and read it on your own for a year, because we've already talked about that. That's unlikely to happen. Yes, we want you to read it daily. We are going to preach through it. Our preaching will follow the weekly reading. But we're really challenging you to go beyond that, to meet once a week with two other people. Like three to me, is the, it's the preferable number. It doesn't have to be, but to me, that's three, four max. And here's why. To me, this is so important. Two things, intimacy and continuity. Intimacy and continuity. Um, the intimacy one. Last week, the ladies who shared, which they did such a really good job. I felt like they hit it out of the park. Chelsea, I think it was Chelsea, said that she had been in a small group and probably still was. In fact, I think Ariel and Josue were in the group with her, like 12 people. And she said that was good and that was helpful. But when you're in a group of 8, of 10, of 12, the level of intimacy, there's kind of a, a lid to it. But if you get around, if I get around two other guys that I'm developing a relationship, I will share things with those guys that I won't share in a, in a mixed group of men and women in a group of 12. It's just the reality of it. And so really want to challenge you because the idea is that I'm reading daily and then I'm meeting weekly and I'm sharing what is the most important thing God spoke to my head, the most important thing he spoke to my heart, and the most important thing he wants me to do. And we also, in that context, part of it is we, it's looking back. How was your week? And we share life and we pray for each other. And that's all on the card that comes in the New Testament explaining how that works. But that's, that's part of really what we're trying to do is we're doing this in small groups. And why three? The reason three, somebody was talking to me this week, um, there's nothing wrong with two or uh, if it gets really above four, you start losing that intimacy. But the reason for three is this. 
because if it's two of us and one of us can't meet, then there's no meeting that week, right? And if I miss six times during the year and then my friend misses six times, that's 12 times that we don't get together out of the 52. If you're meeting in three, it's, it almost always happens. Our group has not missed a single Sunday, I mean a single meeting through the Word of God this year because we're more than two. Because if one of us is gone, there have been times two of us have been gone, right? But that group, every week, they just meet. So that's part of the genius of the three. It's not a law, but I really want to challenge you to that. And I want to speak for just a minute to the guys that are here. Because guys, we're not good at this. We are not good at intimacy. And I also think we're not good with spiritual things. Men, I think, really struggle feeling competent in spiritual things. That's why a lot of men don't take spiritual leadership in their family. And I want to tell you that this practice is a key thing in one, getting you with some other guys to share your life and to allow the Word of God to impact you. And it's also a way for you to grow as you grow in the Word of God to be more confident to give spiritual leadership to your family. Um, I have spoken with several guys this fall, had lunches or coffee, who told me, who said, my spiritual life is stagnant, And my life is all about work and home and work and home and work and home. And I do not have a good, strong relationship with another male. I've lost that. No connection. And they feel feel that hunger and they're desiring that and they, they realize that. And this is all, you know, it's all Adam. Because Adam, his sin, the great sin in the garden is he hid. When Satan came and started talking to Eve... Rather than him coming in, he stepped onto the sideline and he watched that whole thing and allowed it to happen. And a lot of commentators believe that that became part of the fallenness of men, is that we're always hiding, we're always stepping on the sideline spiritually, and we might let our wife lead the family. And I really want to challenge all the guys here to get in the game. Get in the game. Don't sit on the sidelines. Be praying now and thinking, who are two other guys that I can invite into this and that I can start doing this? If you're not sure who those two are, you can get online and, put, and reg, kind of put on there that you want to do this, and we're going we're gonna to work at helping match some people together. So, guys, really want to challenge you. Get in the game. Um, you will never regret that decision. All right, I want to wrap this up by tying this verse in Colossians to a really important concept. Um, this passage in Colossians has a parallel passage in Ephesians. The book of Colossians and Ephesians are parallel epistles, both written to Asia, in Asia Minor. About 70% of the content is very similar to them. Um, so they're, they're, commentators have noticed that for a long time, the parallel nature of these two. If you read them back to back, you'll see so much the similarities. And there is a parallel passage to this, and it's in Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, where Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you look at this passage, the, the parallels are astounding. But Paul's essentially talking about the same thing. And this was a very profound thing when I found this. Um, I actually preached on this about five or six years ago. Because for a long time, I didn't understand what it meant to be filled with the Spirit. Like, what's that mean? How do I do it? What's it look like? It seemed so ambiguous. And then when I realized that Paul had put in a parallel passage and where he answered my question that I had, 
where he was saying through this that there is a vital and organic, a correlation between the Word of God richly dwelling in you and you being filled with the Holy Spirit. To the degree that you are saturated in the Word of God, you will be filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit. If you want to be Spirit-filled, be Word-filled. As you feast upon the Word of God and you're richly and abundantly filled with it and controlled by it, you will find yourself increasingly being filled by the Holy Spirit and coming under His control. As I yield more and more of my life to the Word of God, I'm yielding my life to the Spirit of God. So Word and dwelling equals Spirit and filling. They're one and the same. And this makes total sense to me. I mean, as I thought about this, total sense. Because Jesus talks a lot about that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And we're told in Ephesians 6 that the sword of the Spirit that he uses is the Word of God. The Spirit inspired the Word of God. Some people want to emphasize the Spirit to the detriment of the Word. Some people in some churches. There are people in churches that emphasize the Word of God to the detriment of the Spirit of God. Pit them against each other. And I want to tell you, according to Paul, both are in error because there's an interdependence on the two, and we dare never pit the two against each other. So as the Word of God permeates my heart, heart, it predominates my thinking, it propels my life. Correspondingly, the way, corresponding, the Spirit will permeate my heart, will predominate in my thinking, it will propel my life. Just that truth alone to me is enough to convince me to let the Word of God dwell in me richly. So 12th, my challenge is commit to read the New Testament together next year with a couple of other people. This week, my son-in-law, Josue, sent me a quote from a book he's doing with a young man that he's discipling. It's from R. Kent Hughes, and here's what he said. Young men, you must remember this. You can never have a Christian mind without reading and listening to the Scripture regularly because you cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. Isn't that true? You cannot be profoundly influenced by that which you do not know. But if you're filled with God's word, your life can then be informed and directed by God so that your relationships, your life decisions, your interior life, your moral compass will be graced with divine wisdom. The way to a Christian mind is through God's word. And John Ortberg was essentially saying the same thing when he said whatever repeatedly enters the mind, occupies the mind, right, dwells in the mind, eventually shapes the mind, will ultimately express itself in what you do and in who you become. So let us be a, a community at 12th Avenue that we are known for people to be people who let the word of God or the word of Christ about Christ richly dwell in us. Let us be a community of people who with intentionality get daily in the word of God and meet weekly with a really small group of people we can share our life with and help each other grow in obedience to the scripture. Let us be people who learn how to walk with friends through the Word of God. Last week, I talked about the Word of God being a treasure. Remember, I talked about that, the rich guy who held the tre- hid the treasure chest with gold and all of that in the Rocky Mountains and that had gotten discovered in June? So the next morning, I wanted to talk about treasure a little bit more this week. So I just typed, got on Google and typed in treasure and, and it pulled up at the top a news story. And the news story was, is last weekend, I didn't even know this, but the guy who found that treasure chest He finally came forward and they revealed who he was and where he found it in Wyoming. Um, He was a a medical student who really didn't want to get in the medical field, 
Go figure. But I mean, I guess a lot of college students do that, right? By the time you're about ready to graduate, you're like, why did I pick this? But it's too late. I owe 100000 So he decided he's going to pay off his debt and then do something. I don't know. Um, but that idea of the Scripture being a treasure, and that's my question, is do you treasure the Word of God? How would you answer that question? Do you treasure His Word? There's a story of a young French girl who was born blind, being a French girl in France, and wanted so badly to know the Word of God, and so somebody taught her to read Braille using her fingers, and then they were able to get for her a Gospel of Mark in Braille. And every day she would spend time reading the gospel with her fingers, treasuring those words, putting them into her life, obeying what she read. But she also was a peasant and had to work hard, and because of her hard labor, she ended up developing calluses on her fingers frequently and got to where when the calluses were strong, she couldn't feel the braille well. And so she decided to to try to cut that top layer of skin off. And in doing that, she ended up creating scar tissue on her fingers. And she lost the ability to read Braille and couldn't read the Word of God anymore and was crushed. So she was going to put it away. She prayed to the Lord and she said, Lord, this treasure that I've had, I have to surrender it to you because I can't read it anymore. So out of love for the word, she kissed it. And when she kissed it, she realized that her lips were actually more sensitive to the braille than her fingers had been. She spent the rest of her life daily reading the word of God with her lips because it truly was her treasure. So 12, my challenge to us is let us live that kind of life. Let us be people who treasure his word. So join us in 2021. Would you stand with me? I'd like to close in prayer. Father, this word, this year, your word has been to me so rich in the New Testament. I have so found more than ever that daily hunger as you have spoken to me so many times in the midst of a really weird COVID year. You just have, just daily your word has leapt off pages to my heart. And I thank you for that. I just pray that 12th, that we would become that kind of people who love your word, who are growing in our love of it, who are growing in our obedience, that it more and more is richly dwelling in us. That we would be known as a people of the word, who are shaped by the word, who share the word with each other, who speak to word each other, who walk with a few small people through your word being obedient to it. I pray that you would call us to that. I, I can just get up here and talk. Only you can challenge people to that. You've already challenged a lot to that, but Lord, there's more people we're asking that you would, that our body as a whole, we would, we would take this challenge up and be, make the word of God central to our lives. And we pray this in the name of Christ, who is the incarnate word of God. We pray it in his name. Amen. All right, 12th, as always, you are sent. There is a lost world outside of these doors who are needing Jesus. And if you don't have your New Testament copy yet, Melissa's going to be selling them in the back, $5. She can do credit cards. I have copies up here. You want to come talk to me and grab some, but um, let's let's do it. So you're sent twelve.